Well, welcome to Asante Church. My name is Alex Dennis. I have the honor of being lead pastor here and church planter. And uh, man, we're continuing on today in our new series. Well, it's not so new anymore, anymore, but it's called Joy in All Things. And so today, it's a little bit different. We've kind of been tracking down this path of humility, of lowly service, so humbling ourselves to serve other people. And we're kind of tracking on that a little bit more today. But Paul kind of does something he doesn't do often here, and he kind of just pumps the brake on everything he's been saying, and he just kind of shares his travel plans. He's like, hey, here's everything I want to say to you. Now, uh, here's what's going on in my life. Here's what I want you to know. And then he brings up these two guys, and it's all seemingly, seemingly random. I have to admit to you guys, like preparing for this week, was, uh, it was weird at first. This is a little bit more of an obscure text, but after digging in, there's some good stuff in here, and I'm excited to dive in. This is, uh, this is going to be pretty fun. So Paul says, hey, I'm in Rome. I'm under house arrest. Uh, here's my travel plans. I hope to send this guy. Um, maybe I'm going to need him for me, so I'm going to have to send this guy. He's probably going to be more necessary for you. He's traveled all this way to see me. And then now that I'm talking about these guys that I'm going to send, let me tell you about how great these two guys are. And so that kind of got me thinking, like, this is a pretty dynamic duo, these two guys that Paul has to do ministry with, that he has to send on ministry missions. And so it kind of got me thinking about dynamic duos. And so uh, I wanted to know, like, what is the most iconic dynamic duo that the world has ever seen? And so I didn't reach out to Google. Uh, that's a, I'm just, I, I don't, I wanted to stick it to the man, okay? Uh, I feel like anybody could just Google most dynamic duo and find an answer. But instead what I did is I asked Mark Zuckerberg, so I went to Facebook, and I just typed it in. Hey, what's the most iconic dynamic duo, historical or, or fiction or nonfiction? And I got some answers. And uh, 97 comments came in, only four likes. That means there's a lot of people part of the conversation that weren't happy to be there. But we got some answers, and that's all that matters. And so this morning I present to you third place, second place, and first place for the most iconic dynamic duos of all time. And the first one, a big part of my childhood, Pinky and the Brain, all right? I mean, these guys, they came on either before or after the Animaniacs, I'm not really sure. Uh, I just know that Brain would ask, Pinky would ask Brain, hey, Brain, what are we going to do tonight? The same thing we do every night, Pinky, try to take over the world. I mean, Wow just iconic right there. Uh, also tied, the, there's three that are tied for third place this morning. They all got four votes, and if you're trying to figure out what a vote is, it just means somebody said it, and like four people liked it, or three people liked it. So <laughs> scientific up here, all right? The second tied for third place with four votes is Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen. I'm talking about the 90s Bulls. Basketball is never getting better, okay? You don't have to watch anymore. It's just, they're just going to flop on the ground. It's, it's not the game it used to be, uh, and that's the best there ever was. So, uh, amen. We'll move on to the next one. Also tied for third place with four votes, it is Maverick and Goose from Top Gun. Uh, it's a great picture. You can't even see it. Uh, <laughs> I've heard this is a great movie. I haven't seen it. I also heard a new one just came out. I know, I'm terrible. I'll take care of that this week. It's my job as your pastor. All right, second place with five votes. Never heard of these guys. They're not even attractive. Uh, Stefan and Damon from the Vampire Diaries. Just looks like Twilight to me. 
Uh, look, a lot of ladies on this one. Uh, no guys liked it, and that's good. Uh, I got a good group of Facebook friends. Um, the true second place, though, this is kind of, is kind of a joke. Uh, the true second place, Batman and Robin. I'm telling you. Dark Knight, Boy Wonder, is that what they called him? I don't know. That's what I'm calling him. Beautiful. Pixelated, but beautiful. I'm talking Gotham is safe because of those two. And now first place with six votes, rightfully so. Ladies and gentlemen, the most iconic dynamic duo of all time in any genre. This is, this is historical. This is nonfiction. From the Lord of the Rings, Sam and Frodo. <laughs> this happened. They destroyed the ring. You can say it was fake. I don't, I don't think in my heart it was. Um, it was. Okay. But man, looking at the two guys that we're going to look at today, looking at Paul's dynamic duo, no better segue than these guys. And I didn't add a vote just so it would be a better segue. But Sam and Frodo, resilient, kind, tough. They have grit. Their worth was proven. And we see that today in Paul's dynamic duo. And so when we look at Paul's dynamic duo, everything Paul has been talking about has been highlighting service under Jesus on the foundation of Jesus to other people. And then Paul gives two examples. And the two examples he gives are Jesus and himself. All right, that's like me saying, hey, guys, I want you to get good, good at basketball. Actually, you know what? I want to get I want you to be so good that you're just as good as Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen. All right, those, those cookies are on a high shelf, all right? You got to reach really high, maybe even get a ladder to get there. I could practice the rest of my life. I would never even be a fraction of that athletic. I shoot a basketball and it just goes the opposite way of the rim. It's horrible. And so what Paul does is he makes this a little bit more accessible, right? He takes those chips ahoy. The, you know what? Chips ahoy, that's like... A, sawdust cookie. He takes those double stuffed Oreos straight from heaven and he puts them on the bottom shelf of the pantry and he says, you know what? You can't live up to Jesus. You feel like you can't live up to me. Here's a better example and that example is Timothy and Epaphroditus. You ever heard of these guys? Timothy and Epaphroditus? Uh, I googled this picture. I don't think that's what they looked like. I don't know if they had cameras back then but uh, I always imagined that Timothy was a lot younger. That's probably tracking right about solid for Epaphroditus. So these are the two that Paul says, hey, I, if you're not going to hit Jesus, if you're not going to hit the example that I've set in myself, go for these guys. Epaphroditus, it's a bummer name. It kind of sounds like a disease, but still go for these guys' example. Timothy, we see in Philippians 2, 19 through 24. Paul writes, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him. This can also be translated, I have no one else that is like-minded like Timothy. He is same-souled to me, like same-souled in the sense of Jonathan and David in the Old Testament. I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interest not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. This is big. Paul didn't have any sons. Timothy was his spiritual son. He had been discipling him. Verse 23, I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust, that the Lord, I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself may come also. So, Timothy, 
This is a, this guy's a pretty big deal. Paul is saying, hey, as we do these things, follow Timothy. Look to this example. So who is Timothy? Well, Timothy is a young man. He is Paul's protege. This is a young man that Paul met on his first mission trip, his first missionary journey. Uh, on that first missionary journey, Paul went to a town called Lystra. He also went to another town called Derby. It doesn't really matter to you, but it's thought that he met Timothy in Lystra. Timothy, he had a mother, and his mother loved the Lord. Now, he also had a father, and his father was a Greek, and his father did not love the Lord. He also had a solid grandmother. And Timothy, he meets Paul on his first missionary journey, and he gives his life to Jesus. And then later down the line, on Paul's second missionary journey, Timothy's going to take some time. He's going to mature in the faith. He's going to grow up. He's going to mature physically as well. And he is going to join Paul on his next mission trip. And so these guys have spent time together. Paul knows Timothy. And so what are these traits, what are these characteristics that Paul is pointing out in Timothy saying, have these? Well, the first trait is that he is trusted. Paul trusts that he will be a blessing to the Philippians. He is a trusted messenger on this messenger mission to bring back good news to the Philippians. Okay, so Paul is on house arrest in Rome. It is an 800-mile journey to go back to Philippi. So Paul is saying, my best bet to get good news of you that is going to bring me cheer is to send Timothy 800 miles back to you. That's six weeks worth of travel. And then for him to stay with you for a while, meet your needs spiritually, physically, emotionally, and come back to me with good news of everything that God is doing by the power of the Spirit in the church in Philippi. That is trusted. But that's not just trust. It's like, hey, Timothy, uh, we, we just met. We've been hanging out for a little bit. I feel like we're, we're getting pretty close. I, I notice we're friends on Facebook and Instagram now. Could you, uh, could you do me a really big favor? Could you travel across 800 miles? to deliver a message and then come back with a message for me. No, that's not how it worked. Paul and Timothy had a relationship that went deeper than that because Timothy was trusted. We see that Paul sends Timothy the first time from Athens to Thessalonica in 1 Thessalonians 3. He sends Timothy from Ephesus to Corinth in 1 Corinthians 4. He sends Timothy from Ephesus to Macedonia in Acts 19. And now he's saying, Timothy, I've got another mission for you to go on. I have another message for you to deliver. And you know what, Timothy? Because you've proven your worth over and over and over again, I trust you. I know that you can do it. And I'm not even worried about it. In verse 19, we see that Timothy was necessary for the situation. Paul wants to send his best. Man, that's high praise from the Apostle Paul. That's high praise from this New Testament bad boy that's just going out, planting churches, sharing the gospel. Miracles are happening. God is using this man in a mighty way. And for Paul to say, this is my best, is a big deal. Paul knows that whenever Timothy arrives in Philippi, anything that is needed, Timothy can take care of. Paul knows that he will not be looking out for his own concerns. He will be looking after their concerns because his number one concern is Jesus. And so because his number one concern is Jesus, then his number two concern is Jesus in everyone else's lives, that he would meet that need. And again, we see that Paul has no one like him, no one else that will be concerned about others like Timothy. And his worth has been proven in gospel service so much so that he is like his son over and over and over. He has proven to be steadfast. He has proven to be devoted, to be loyal, to have grit. I think that is something that is so lacking in the church today. We get so used to just comfort, 
we get so used to things just being easy or to be, being catered to or, or being served, and we forget that we've been called to serve. Timothy had grit. No matter how bad things got, Timothy kept serving. He didn't step back for any reason. He knew that his number one concern was Jesus, and his number two concern was other people coming to know Jesus because his number one concern was Jesus. He had grit. He kept on going. And then we see verse 23, that Paul decides not to send Timothy because it would be best if Timothy stays with him. Timothy was sustaining to the ministry of Paul. Timothy eased Paul's distress. Paul was weak. Paul was tired. Paul was worn. Paul had suffered over and over and over again. But with Timothy around, it made that burden lighter. With Timothy around, Paul could continue to minister day after day after day. One man only has so much capacity. And that capacity goes through the roof when the power of the Holy Spirit is involved. But there's still only so much capacity for one man. Paul needed a Timothy. I'm blessed in my life that I have a Timothy. I'm blessed that God blessed me. I'm blessed that I'm blessed. Yeah, that's twice blessed, you know. I'm blessed that God gave me a brother to do ministry with, to walk alongside. I am blessed that I have a friend, a best friend, a comrade, somebody to go after Jesus together. There's only so much I could do. This church would not be what it is because I would have burned it to the ground by now if Jacob hadn't taken the matches out of my hands multiple times. So thanks for being Timothy, man. Don't talk to me anymore, okay? So don't clap for him. He can't handle that. <laughs> so we ask ourselves, how do I find a Timothy? And I don't think you do. I think Timothys are given. I think Timothys are so special that we have to, one, instead of ask, how do I get that? I think we flip-flop the question. We say, how do I be that? I think instead of trying to find a Timothy to help us in the things we do, I think we need to try to be a Timothy for somebody else. I think that is the next step for us. But I also think that if you want a Timothy, you're required to live a life that requires one. That means living beyond your capacity, living beyond what you can do in just your strength, living so big on purpose, intentionally for the gospel that God knows this is not going to work out unless I send somebody alongside you to pump the brakes every now and then. Well, this is not going to work out unless I send somebody alongside you to step on the gas every now and then. That's Timothy, special, special young man. Then we have Epaphroditus, Philippians 2, 25 through 30. Verse 25, I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to my need. Now, Epaphroditus came with a love offering, a gift from the church in Philippi to Paul. It was a big deal. Four, verse 26, four, he has been longing for you all as he has and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life 
to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Another special man. And we see this as Paul lists his traits. Epaphroditus, verse 25, necessary once again. Timothy, necessary. Epaphroditus, necessary for the situation. Not Paul's personal best, all right? Maybe not Michael Jordan, but definitely Scottie Pippen, all right? This man was a blessing to Paul. But we also see he wasn't just a blessing. He didn't just come to meet a need. We see that he was near and dear to Paul. He was appreciated. Also in verse 25, Paul just lists four things out. He says, this man is a brother to me. And I think, man, I think after Hulk Hogan and Hulkamania, hey, brother, like everybody just kind of hears brother and is like, yeah, I just, that's, that, it just means dude. Uh, that can be shortened down to bro, and I'm a big fan of that word. I think you should use dude and bro at least 26 times a day, maybe all in the same paragraph. Uh, this wasn't cultural norm back then. You see, the Greeks thought they were better than everybody else, all right? So if you were a Greek, then another Greek person was your brother. Another Greek woman was your sister. If you were not a Greek, you were considered a barbarian, all right? So that's the Greeks. Then there's the Romans, all right? So if you, in Rome... If you were Roman, you had brothers and sisters that were Roman. If they were not Roman, they were slaves. Nothing says you are not even on my level like calling somebody a slave. And then Jesus dies. And then the Holy Spirit indwells believers. And then this thing starts popping up called the church. And then upon acceptance of Jesus, repentance of sins, and putting your faith in him, something beautiful happens. Now all these orphans start getting adopted. All these slaves, all these barbarians, all these Greeks, all these Romans, and something beautiful takes place. And now that in the body of Christ within the church, you are no longer a stranger, you are no longer a slave, you are no longer a barbarian, you are no longer one of those people that have to hold themselves high. No, we are all on the same page because we have been put in the same family by the work of Jesus on the cross. And that is beautiful. So when Paul calls Epaphroditus his brother, he means it. You are a brother to me. You mean as much to me as family. He also calls him a fellow worker. He doesn't say he's a freeloader. He doesn't say he rode a chariot all this way. He gave me some money, and then he drank all my drinks, and he ate all my pizza. That's not what happened. No, he actually put in work. He's somebody that put the time in. And he also calls him a fellow soldier. He knows how to fight the fight. He knows the struggle that Paul has been going through, and he has been alongside Paul in that struggle. And then he calls him a messenger, and this is no small feat. Again, six weeks of travel, 800 miles of a journey to Paul, all to take care of his needs. He was trusted. So what do we see in Epaphroditus? We see that he was good. Um, he might have been great. Um, the team or the circumstances he got drafted under were not necessarily great. You see, Epaphroditus, he, uh, on this journey to go see Paul from the church in Philippi all the way to Rome, remember six weeks, 800 miles, he gets sick on the way. He spends time with Paul. He nearly dies. Paul says that it was a blessing that he didn't die. Not just, so there's a dead guy in my house. That's really sad. That's a bummer. But also that would have devastated Paul. He'd already seen so much hurt, already seen so much pain and suffering. And so we can kind of take from this, this question of how do we handle good hearts that fall short? Now, Epaphroditus, he completed the task. His mission was accomplished. 
just wasn't necessarily at a Timothy level. It wasn't everything that it could be. And I think if we look at Paul and his earlier missionary uh, journeys and his early missions career, you see that Paul would have acted much differently towards a situation like this. We see that the cousin of Barnabas, uh, an encouraging man that Paul traveled with, uh, he came on board for a mission trip early in Paul's career, following Jesus, planting churches, and he got homesick, and he jumped ship, and he went home. What did Paul do? He said, Barnabas, that guy's never coming on another missionary journey with us ever again. John Mark is a little sissy. He needs to stay home with his mommy. Don't bring him out here anymore. What do we see here with Epaphroditus? We see that Paul's grown. We see that Paul has grace upon him. Hey man, you got sick and you nearly died and you've kind of been a little bit of a burden, but even while being a burden, you've been in the thick of it with us. I'm so glad that you are alive. And instead of banning him, excommunicating him from his next missionary journey, whatever the Lord has next for Paul, what does Paul do? He exalts him. He exalts him alongside Timothy, who was his beloved son in the faith. We see that their work is not taken lightly. We see that their value is found in them proving themselves. And we see that they have loved and that they have served well. So we have to ask the question, why is Paul sharing his travel plans? And now, why is Paul talking about these two rando guys? The question is answered, and that they were exhibiting the mind of Christ. Think back to me, Philippians 2.5, a couple weeks ago. Paul wrote, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. What Paul is doing here is what every great comedian should always do in their Netflix specials, and that's a callback to their previous Netflix special. He's saying, have the mind of Christ. Look at these two guys as the example. These are the guys that you need to be basing your life off of as they base their lives off of my example and the example of Jesus, the ultimate example. Follow what their footsteps look like. Follow after them. And so what do we see? Across Timothy, across Epaphroditus, their lives, where do things parallel? How do they intersect? Within this, we find four characteristics of the mind of Christ. Four characteristics of the mind of Christ. The first shared characteristic of the four is that they are necessary. Timothy was necessary to sustain Paul. Both Timothy and Epaphroditus were necessary to the church in Philippi. That is why Paul was sending them. So I ask you, how are you necessary? How are you a necessary part of the body of Christ? How are you a necessary integral part of Jesus in your home? How are you a necessary part of Jesus in the workplace? Jesus in your friends' lives. I think of the life of this church. I think of one family who's been here from day one. They were here from us being at a church plant before we got here. And even in their age, they have loved and they have served this church by any means possible, week in and week out. I hardly ever see them here in service because they are loving and they are serving our kids and kids' ministry 
so well. That is a family that's so necessary to the life of a church. I think of another family, two families actually, in our church that started meeting together recently, that shared meals to figure out everything that they had experienced in their religious, spiritual walk, their spiritual journey, and their past, and how they could come together founding it on the Bible, finding, founding it on Scripture, and see where God has them going here in the future. That's necessary. That is integral to the life of the church. I think of another family who just showed up last Easter and is already hosting out of their home, opening it up to people in our community that we've never met. All right, not true entirely. All right, you have to register for home groups, but it's the same. When, all the, when 29 people show up in your house on a Sunday night, that's a big deal. And that is a necessary part of the church. Necessi- they are necessary. Second thing is that they were rare. We see that they were brothers, that they were sisters in Jesus. And you too are brothers and sisters in Jesus. We are workers in the gospel, we are soldiers in the faith, and we are messengers sent to take care of needs. In church family, you are rare. You are hard to come by. So what makes us rare? We are rare because we live lives that are focused on Jesus. They are not focused on ourselves. We are focused on having the mind of Christ, not serving ourselves before others. So if we're diamonds in the rough, then we have to ask ourselves the question, Am I different from anybody around me? How am I different from everybody around me? Is the mind of Christ so evident in my life that others would see it? Is the mind of Christ so evident in my life that others would see it and then have a problem with it because it's countercultural? I think of a man in our church. He goes to work every day. He is persecuted for many things, the biggest being his faith. He works hard. He gets ragged on all day long. And he comes home, and he's an incredible dad. He's an incredible husband. Not perfect. We're all learning. We all need some work. And then, in any downtime he has, he serves in five capacities in this church. Five different hats that this man wears week in and week out. That's rare. That's different. Again, necessary. Rare. Third, is there thoughtful deeply concerned for others. Physically and emotionally, we're looking after people's well-beings so that the door can be swung open to meet their biggest need, and that is the need of Jesus. We are spiritually concerned about other people. There's a family in our church that experienced the thoughtfulness of one man beyond, so far beyond anything that I could ever even imagine. By the way, you guys might be wondering, I think this guy's just going off on story time right now. You're absolutely right, I am. If Paul can tell stories about Timothy and Epaphroditus, I can tell stories about how awesome our people are in the power of the Holy Spirit. So, thanks for bearing with me. There's a man in our church who heard that a family that was going through the hardest week of their life, their AC just went out. And this man's wife also just went to the emergency room. She gets all checked in. Everything's good. She's a bad woman. And so she said, hey, go take care of that AC unit. So this dude with his wife in the ER leaves the ER, gets a part delivered, and then goes to fix this family's AC unit. That is one of the most thoughtful things I've ever seen in my life. That is Jesus in this person. 
taking care of the needs of the people in this church, taking care of the body of Christ. And that's one bad wife, man, to send her husband out while she is sitting in a hospital bed. That is love. That is thoughtfulness. That is thoughtfulness that is not concerned about ourselves over other people. That is other people over ourselves because of Jesus time and time again. The last one, we'll close out, is that they are valuable. The fourth characteristic of the mind of Christ is that you are valuable. Timothy, Epaphroditus, valuable because of who they were in Jesus. Valuable to Paul because they were proven. They proved themselves by the work of ministry to other people. They were consistent. They were reliable. They were there day in and day out, Timothy especially. But their value didn't come from their works. No, their works came based out of their value, and that value was based out of their identity, and that identity is that they were valuable to Jesus. They were valuable to Jesus so much so that he gave his life on a cross for them so that then they could be valuable to other people. So, in our lives, do others find value in us because we have found value in Jesus? Are we valuable to those around us? Are we valuable to the church? Are we valuable employees? Are we valuable moms, valuable dads, grandpas, grandmas, kids, students, co-workers? Find your identity in Jesus and work out of what he has done for you. Don't ever get it mixed up in a works-based situation where you are trying to work for being valuable enough for Jesus. Know that you were valuable enough to him that when you were dead in your sin, in your trespasses, that he still gave his life for you. That is where we find our value. And when it is in that, we can be valuable to other people. So how do we instill these characteristics? We have the mind of Christ. And having the mind of Christ is not something that we can instill within ourselves in our own strength. Okay, that's going to look topical. That's going to take care of the surface stuff, but the stuff deep down inside of your heart, that's still going to be there, unfortunately. For that to be taken care of, for this to be a lasting impact, this mind of Christ being something that you inhabit on a daily basis, it means that you first need to be transformed by Jesus. You can act the part all day long. All that means is that you're a hypocrite. Being a hypocrite literally means to be an actor. You are acting like you are something that you are not. And if you have not given your life to Jesus, then it makes no sense to act like you have. It makes no sense to try to strive forward in life like you have. So, first, we have to surrender. We have to give our lives over to Jesus. We have to seek transformation. And when we seek transformation in Jesus, we surrender everything to him, then we experience transformation. And once we experience transformation, then we can live out application. But if you're trying in your own strength, you might have the mind of Christ in a couple of ways here and there, but it's never going to stick. You're going to rush right past, right past transformation and into application, and the only thing you're going to experience is frustration. So I don't know who you are in this room. I know many of you have given your lives to Jesus, and he is making you more like him every single day, like we've talked about the past three weeks. But there may be some of you in here who don't like what you identify inside of yourself. You don't like where you're at mentally. You would like to have the mind of Christ, but you've never actually made Jesus your Lord. 
you've never actually made Jesus your Savior. I want you to know if you want these things, if you want this mindset, then that has to happen. You have to give it over to him. And so we're going to pray here in a second. And if that's you, I want you to be bold. I want you to be confident. If you want the mind of Christ, if you want to be transformed by Jesus, if you want forgiveness of your sins, hey, let somebody know. There is no moving forward in this example that Paul says to follow without him. So let's follow that example together. If that's you, you can mark that on your Connect card. Check your email because I'm going to email you and say, hey, let's get together and talk about this. And then that email is going to go to your spam inbox. And so check your spam inbox because I'm serious. I actually want to live this life out alongside you. I want to see you transformed in Jesus so that we can follow this example together. Let's pray. Jesus, we need you so much. There there is no way that we could follow your example. There is no way that we could follow Paul's example. There is no way that we could follow Timothy's example. There is no way that we could follow Epaphroditus' example without the power of the Holy Spirit within us. So Jesus, thank you that you made it possible to have your mind when we go about our day, when we go about our life. Thank you that our life is not about us, but about loving and serving others so that then others can love and serve you. Jesus, I pray for the person in here who's not happy with their situation. They're not happy with the mind that they are currently working with. They're not happy with the traits, the characteristics that they're displaying in their life. And Jesus, I pray that they would realize that that transformation into that being lasting only comes through submission and laying their lives down to you. We desire your mind as a church, Jesus, that we would make less of us, that we would make more of you, that we would make more of others. I pray this morning that we'd be necessary in every place we find ourselves in life, that we would be rare in every place we find ourselves in life, that we would be thoughtful in every place we find ourselves in life, and that we would be valuable because we find our value in you, and then we prove our worth to others. Jesus, you are king. You are good. We thank you that you died on the cross for our sin, that we could be made clean, we could be put in right relationship with the Father. It's all in your name. Amen.